Here we go. It's Monday night. Once again, time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Another packed show for you tonight. we got to get right into it, Ira. Where have you been? You're live in studio, though. I like to see that. Just live in studio. Nowhere exciting this week. Just watching watch golf. golf. <laughs> I get up at morning, like at, I would say, 4 or 5 in the morning and start watching the British Open in four days. And I'm, it was great. I love the fact that it's early in the morning and you get to watch it. And it's just a way to wake up at Liverpool, the Beatles, golf. Perfect. See, we're opposite. I like when the tournament's on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> watch till 10 p.m. Uh, there is one South Florida sporting event that you wish you were at that you didn't go to and you're regretting. We'll oh, talk Friday about that night. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we're going to have Tim Frank on, good friend of the show. And, I mean, after David Silver, this is like the best guy we could get on to Adam talk Silver. NBA. Adam, Adam Silver, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's the third in command of the NBA, the vice president of communications. Uh, a perfect person to have on. We've had him on a couple times before. And I, he really does not do a lot of interviews. And this is a way to ask a lot of good questions about what's going on in the NBA. It's perfect. I'm so glad he came on the show, and we're excited to have him on. Don't forget, Ira's got you covered all across social media, at Ira on Sports. Tim Frank will join us around 730, by the way. British Open's in the books. Our boy Cam Smith, not the champion. The champion is Brian Harmon. I don't know, think a lot of people knew who that was necessarily five days ago, but they know now. Well, actually, I think it was, he was 26 in the world. He's 36 years old. His wife and his three kids decided to go to, on a trip to Syracuse, New York, not going to the British <laughs> Open. That shows how much confidence they had. His parents were on a lobster trip in the Florida Keys, so they were down here. Nobody has respect. I guess <laughs> after he had the lead, they were like, you know what, just stay away. We're not going to yeah. superstition with that. He's a Georgia Bulldog, Harris English, Seth Straka, Keith Mitchell, boy, that Georgia Bulldogs team. He lives in Georgia, from Savannah, Georgia, lives in Sea Island, Georgia, three-time uh, All-American uh, at Georgia. He won the U.S. Junior Amateur, the 2005 Players Amateur, and then did not have the pro career that he thought he was going to have. In 2014, won the John Deere. 2015, he led the Travelers after 54 holes, but then Bubba Watson won. Uh, in 2017, he won the Wells Fargo with his 28-foot putt. I remember watching it over Dustin Johnson. In 2017, he had a 54-hole lead in the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills, and then he blew it, and then Brooks came and won it by four. But really, after that, really, not really much going on, but he still just, he doesn't win tournaments, but just enough top tens, whatever, all those things. And uh, he's been 30 majors he's only had two top tens 12 missed cuts this year missed the cut the masters missed the cut the pga tournament missed the cut the memorial uh 43rd at the u.s open nothing that would tell you even though the last two he was 12th in the travelers 9th in the rock and mortgage 12th in the sky so he had been playing better and he's 26 in the world so that but it really all came together and i'll tell you what as someone who watched almost every one of his shots on saturday and sunday I don't know if Tiger Woods would have done it better than what he just did. That was unbelievable. They had one day, he had, he had to sit on that lead for 23 hours, which is the way they would do the schedule, and literally had, and then Sunday they said, okay, we're going to give you the most worst rainstorm in the world against you. You're going to have John Rahm behind you, and you're going to bogey the first couple holes, and you still hang on to win. Not hang on, but just, it was cru you know, cruising to a victory. It, it, one of the things for me that made it a little less exciting was the fact that he wasn't making huge, he didn't let them come back, and Saturday Rahm made, the, made a, a big charge and you're like, all right, here comes John Rahm, watch out. Failed a little bit at the beginning, but then just put on cruise control from there. How did this happen? Because it seemed like the, from the moment you started looking at this tournament, he was in the lead. Yeah, I mean, it, it, on the they, they start, they have this little different than other tournaments that they start at 1.30 in the morning on our time, and they don't do split tees. They, you know, so they go out, they start, and it goes like the entire day. And in the first day, Fleetwood was at five under par. He is the fan favorite. He's right up from that area. People were going crazy for him. And then Kristen Lomprecht, who is six foot eight, you're not going to miss him. He's from Georgia Tech, which is interesting because Chris Eubanks, who played well at the British Open, at the U.S. Wimbledon from, for tennis, was also from Georgia Tech. So this was a good week for Georgia and Georgia Tech. Started out with 
500. No amateur has led the tournaments in 2011. And Harmon sat in there with a with a 67 at four under. Spieth was two under. Scheffler and Kepka one under. So I'm like happy. I'm Scheffler, Kepka, Cam Smith was one over. So comfortable with that. Uh, Phil Mickelson plus six. Rom had a very another bad day at the majors to start plus three. But Justin Thomas plus wow. 11, double on seven and a 14 and a quad on 18 and uh, and a nine you know with a nine on the par five 18. Absolutely tremendous. Justin Thomas now is might not even make the FedEx playoffs. Uh, is his Ryder Cup chances are probably all gone. And here's someone who was number one in the world a few years ago with his two majors, won 20 golf tournaments, and he's only 30 years old. So this is really what has happened. I mean, this he whatever Ricky Fowler had, he got, and he better get. That was just just a terrible plus 11 performance. Yeah, it needs to see Butch Harmon, yeah. as you said. I was actually going to ask you that. You know, what is his chances of making the Ryder Cup team now? I don't think it's. I don't. It, it, he he's going to go to the 3M title, and then he has to sort of play his way in. But if he doesn't get in the and he doesn't get into the FedEx. He has to be he's like on 75, and, and you have to be at 70. He, he, if he doesn't play well there, he might not get in, and that would be a problem. Crazy. What happened on Friday? On Friday, Harmon, that, then he won the tournament on Friday because he came out early. Now, this was like at 2 in the morning. He goes and does this, and he shot a 10. He was at 65. That takes him to 10 under. At some points, he was like 7 ahead. Uh, he had uh, he had four straight birdies, and then he had at the start, an eagle on the final hole. And at 10 under was what Rory was. Tiger was at 2006, and Rory at 2014. At the same course, uh, Fleetwood fell back a little bit. He was at 500. He shot a 71. So that gave him that cushion, that five-shot cushion. Sepp Straka, who we saw from the Honda Classic, and here's another one of these younger golfers from Georgia <laughs> who actually does who did well um, recently because he just won at the, the, the tournament in Detroit and the Rocket Moore, and then he also uh, won the Honda Classic. So he had him like he was like what. 100 to 1 also. Mm -hmm. I'm like, boy, those are great odds. And he played great the whole time. Spieth was at 2 under, 69 and 71. Um, and Rory, who everybody, I mean, every single shot was Rory shot. He was shot a 71 the first day, 70 and 1 under the second. But he felt like, okay, nine strokes back. Rom shot a 70. He was at plus two. Bryson plus two. The interesting thing, of course, I love golf, these golf tournaments is the cut. Because Cam Smith was a plus four. The cut was going to yeah. be three and in. And he got an eagle on 18. Now, Birdie would have got him in, but he got an eagle to go. I'm like, I'm excited for that. On a, 60-foot long putt. Scheffler uh, did the same thing. He went for, he got a plus three, was able to get into it. Brooks was plus three, Fowler plus three. So you got all these big names at plus three. Who didn't make the cut? Morikawa, Colin Morikawa, who a lot of people were picking to win, plus four. Uh, Tony Finau, plus six. Uh, Shane Lowry, former champion, plus, set, plus seven. And Shane did something, Mike. I, he took his club, an iron, around his neck and broke it on his <laughs> neck. That was unbelievable. And Tyler Gooch, uh, who had been playing so well in the Live Tour. Live golfers did not play well in this. Live golfer, he was leading the Live Tour. It was a plus seven, and then, of course we talked about Justin Thomas, uh, who was just was a terrible, terrible miss for that day. And John Daly, who's he can be at playing to he's sixty years old, so he's a few more years. He shot a seventy-seven and seventy-seven plus twelve. And Dustin Johnson was a plus fourteen. He shot a seventy-four and eighty-one. Six six bogeys and two doubles on Saturday. So a fr on Friday, terrible for Dustin Johnson. It's seven ten. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. Tim Frank from the NBA front office joins us. At 7.30, and you can join Ira on social media, at Ira on Sports. Let's talk about Saturday, because like I said, I was excited once Rom started flying up the leaderboard. Crazy day. Rom set the course record.
record, shot at eight under, and he was at six. So he's sitting at six, and that's when Harmon is teeing off. Like, he was done. Harmon's teeing off. It's and intimidating, it's, though. It's, it's really intimidating. <laughs> he, bogey, he had a bogey on hole one and a bogey on hole four to go to eight. So he only has a couple-shot lead sitting there with Rom, and then four straight birdies goes from two. Then he goes to, to 12 under par, sat there. It was absolutely tremendous in terms of what he was able to do. And then, of course, Cam Young had a nice day, shot a 66. Uh, Hovland shot a 66, did well. But Rory shot a 69. He opened with three straight birdies. He almost had a chance to open with five straight birdies, but he still finished with a 69, so he was three under, which by the end of the day was nine strokes back on Sunday. But really, the key thing was that Harmon gets out to the tee, Brom had just put up this huge number. He bogeys two in his first four holes and then just cruises and then has birdies the rest of the way and makes it 12 under and has that huge lead. He had a, a, a six-stroke, six, uh, uh, had a four-stroke lead going into, I mean, a six-stroke lead going into, or five, actually five on Cam Young, six on Rom going into Sunday. So let's talk about Sunday because this is when, again, started off a little slow and people, you're looking at it like, is this when he's finally going to collapse? But he, he had the, uh, the, test, the um, fortitude to pull through. Yeah, I mean, the joke I think Mike Tirico said was it looked like there was a pro shop under every umbrella because they, it was pouring down rain and mm. it wasn't like lightning so they were still playing through it. I can't believe all those fans were there too and they're all like wearing white shoes. I'm like, oh, they have to be getting mud on those shoes. <laughs> it was And uh, Harmon bogeys two to go to 11 and then he barely made three. He was going to make another bogey. So And then uh, and then he had then had another bogey on five to go to 10 under. Rom was at 10. So, so here, Harmon, everything is falling apart. It's raining. He's bogeying. And then Harmon had this long Long bogey on a birdie on six to go up to up to eleven. He birdies on seven to go to twelve. No one else is making any sort of charge. And after nine, he was sitting there with a five-stroke lead over Straka and Rory and everyone. And then uh, between five and ten feet, at that point, he was twelve for twelve. And then he misses a putt on thirteen. He misses a putt. It was a seven-foot putt to go. He dropped to eleven. And then so he was only had like a three or four-stroke lead. You're like, okay, now this is where the pressure is going to get to him. He's going to fall apart. But what does he do? He comes back on fourteen, sinks a twenty-two-foot putt on fifteen. He's He's a 10-foot putt. He's at 13, cruising along. And then he goes, you know, we're known that John Van Velde was famous because he went to the end of the British Open. He was had a three-stroke lead and blew it on the final hole. But in this time, he came, you know, Harmon had the six-stroke lead and, and, and was able to par the hole even with on a long putt there, but just cruised along. Harmon finished with seven with a 13-under. Day was at seven-under. Kim, seven-under. Straka, seven-under. Rom, seven-under. So it would have been a great tournament if everybody, if you took, you Harmon, just, out, if you took yeah. Harmon out of it. Um, Fowler was easy. Even Spieth, even Scheffler, even Scheffler had a 67. The final day was that much. Rory shot it was six under, and it's like one of those things. People, where my friends were saying, "Oh, Rory finished in the top 10." I'm like. This has now been almost nine years since he's won his title, and it's just it was one of those things where he's played 33 tournaments, all the top tens, always the favorite. This is not enough. I mean, if Rory McIlroy is going to be the highest-paid golfer, made more money than anyone, be this top favorite, you can't say you're an all-time great if you don't win majors. And it's just I think he knows it. I mean, he has the he Brooks Koepka has won five majors in the time that Rory's won zero since then. So it's one of those things where I'm hard on Rory, but I'm sure Rory, Rory's hard on himself because he doesn't want to be like Greg Norman won two majors. Rory's one to four. Rory's been number one. He's been ranked this high. This isn't like these upper down, ups and downs. Um, another disappointing. I have to wait eight and a half months till the Masters comes. Uh, but it was huge win for Harmon and a really life changing. I just want to say is that he now he won three million dollars. He won the Claret Judge, which jug, which is the world the oldest golf trophy. He gets to keep it, the real jug for to, from 1873. He gets to keep it for a year, and then he gets a replica. He gets a gold medal, which they've been giving out, which is one of the only places that gives gold medals. He has an exemption 
option here till night till he's 60 years old and then five years for the masters pga us open senior pga for the rest of his life and, and the senior open and which for the, most other golfers who win it's like well i'm already going to have that but for him this is this is totally life-changing yes. this this really sets him up and he's always going to be known as british open major champion and as someone who's only won two tournaments his entire career out of 160 starts now to win this Amazing, and, and the way he played, this was not a lucky win. No one collapsed. He won this tournament. Give him tons of credit. Yeah, c- congratulations uh, to Brian Harmon. What's coming up next for golf? Um, just two uh, PGA tournaments, 3M. The field is terrible. Wyndham and Charlotte uh, with live. There's a live tournament, and then the FedEx playoffs in Memphis, Chicago, and Atlanta. So really, golf is. This was it. I mean, this is the last major of the year. You go to the Tour Championships, but this was. Uh, you know, this is one that we want to really focus on in terms of the last major. You're not going to have another major. I said for another. Another eight and a half months. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, and Mike Balsamo. You know the social media handle at Ira on Sports. Let's talk a little soccer, Ira. And I'm, I love women's soccer. I love men's soccer too, but something about the U.S. women's national team gets me excited because they're so good and so fun to watch. I didn't see that typical polish that we that we usually see from this team on Friday night. Well, it's hard to say they had they won three nothing and, and had a twenty eight to zero to nothing shot advantage. And you're saying it's a disappointing game, but I think that they just couldn't convert the shots. Alex Morgan had a penalty kick, didn't do well with it. The goalie for Vietnam, they won three over Vietnam was was made plays. Yeah. It was all the plays. You, you can't tell how America's goalie was because they didn't they have, have a, a shot. Yeah. Shots came up, and Sophia Smith scored two goals early. She's the big star for the for the Americans, so you like to see her score. But they missed a lot of other shots in the second half it seemed like it just seemed like a disjointed performance and the question the problem is that when they go against Netherlands which is next on Wednesday which is a much better team what's going to happen so but it was actually they're lucky they're lucky that they had this game got it out of the way had the remember Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia their first game in the World Cup and ended up winning the World Cup so this it was a 3-0 win but we'll see that you have so many players and and anytime you have Dennis Rodman's daughter on the show I mean on the the, the, for the team it's just that's exciting I mean they have so (laughs) many stars and uh, well this this will be good but it's spaced out. They're like when they played on Friday night, they play again on Wednesday. It's a long time. Yeah, five days in between games. It's a little much. I wish we could get every other day, but I'll take what I can get. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we're rooting on the women's team. I, I thought they, they were plus 225 to win it all. I still think that's a great bet. I would have taken that beforehand. The event that Ira wished she had been at. Seeing Leo Messi's debut and what a debut it was. Boy, I mean, he, first of all, we see a lot of him like he's either playing, he has this huge dog. I forget the name of the dog. I just wrote it down. I forget. Is it a bull mastiff or? Yeah, it's, and it's gigantic. And he was playing with the dog and, and, and then he with his kids and he's at Publix. And whatever Messi does, there's a video of it and he's always like, it's pretty exciting. But the point is, he actually was in a game. You have all the stars and you have the game winning shot. Like your first game in Miami, you come and you're going to have a free kick. This is not a penalty kick. So he's way back. It was deep. <laughs> he just hits the perfect shot. It was almost like it was planned. LeBron's there. Kim Kardashian's there. I mean, what more celebrities you need to have? Everybody's there. It was what a win. What a game. It was for the win, but it was just that he is such a star and it just embraced again. It's uh, I think Miami is starting to get this with LeBron and Messi. You're getting these superstars that are coming here and, and winning it. And I, that was, but it was just like a storybook ending to your first game. But I think one of the things was I was noticing they're playing Friday. They're playing tomorrow. But when they go on the road for games, I did not realize this, that mo- that half the teams in MLS do play on AstroTurf, and Messi has never played on AstroTurf in his life. He only plays on grass. And so they normally, when you see Manchester United, they bring in grass. But that's for like a big event that they plan. So when he plays in Atlanta, they're going to, if they want Messi to play, they have to put grass in. But why, if you're a team, you're like, we don't want Messi to play. Yeah. We want to win the game. <laughs> so you're going to have to bring in grass, but you'll make a zillion dollars and all those things. So I think it's going to be a question. One player, someone said, are they going to do that for one player? 
Yes, they are going to do this. This is one player dictating how the league. Could you it's imagine? It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to the MLS. Any other sport that would say you're going to play on grass, it's going to be seven. It's like almost a million dollars to bring grass in, but it's so worth it because of the ticket sales and everything that he's going to do. Yeah, you, you, it's a sellout, and you can charge whatever you want. <laughs> so we'll, we'll pay the million dollars. Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. Let's talk a little baseball. Ira, I was in uh, Miami yesterday for the Marlins game, my second Marlins game in as many weeks. Got to tell you, it's a fantastic experience, but it was made better by an Ira Pro Tip. Yes. And I've been saying this, if, if there's ever a slow week, which we never have, we need to do an Ira Tips, you know, on how to go to these sporting events. It, it took me two hours to get from the parking garage to I-95 last time I went to a game. You're like, that's crazy. Park on someone's lawn. And I'm like, I don't know about this. I, I'm telling you, Ira, I was 15 feet from the gate. There's a guy sitting there with a $20 sign that says 20 bucks. He's like, this is my parking spot. I live here. You want to park here? I was like, yes, I do. Got from my seat to my car in five minutes and on I-95 in about a minute. It was... It made the experience so much better not having to deal with Miami traffic and all the madness. And the people around the Marlins Stadium are so friendly. You'll park your car there, and you're like, will you block me in? Of course not. You'll come out. They're going to make sure. They'll watch the car. I mean, you never hear of anything happening. It's probably much safer than parking in the garage. And you come back out, and they're giving you, like, a drink, like some water. (laughs) They're offering things. Like, it's tremendous. Like, it's really good. Like One time I parked, uh, I think, uh, and they offered to, to, like, cook me. You want want a hot dog or hamburger for free. I mean, I'm like, no, that's okay. But, no, I'm glad you had a good experience. There was two police officers five feet away. I'm like, this can't be, like, it, it can't be troublesome. <laughs> it's good law enforcement right here. Well, let's talk about baseball, though. It, it's starting to get down to it. I remember the trade deadline is, is two weeks away, and it, things are starting to shape up, and we're st- starting to see a couple of teams fade into oblivion. Yeah, I mean, I think the point with this trade, t- the trade deadline, the key thing right now is what we, we is the Kansas City, the A's, the White Sox, Cards, Pirates, Nats, and Colorado are all bad. But there's still a lot of teams that you think that are in it. And I think the problem that they think they're in there, and they're not gonna, you're not going to see these major trades, is that you look at the Phils from last year. You look at the Nationals from a couple of years ago. It's like if you just can get in the playoffs and get a run, then you're going to go. And you saw it from the Heat and the Panthers. If we said right before the season, two weeks before, you're like, the Panthers have no shot for the playoffs. The Heat were just on that edge to get it, and they go to the – so the point is you're not going to have the Mets. I just think these teams and the energy – They're not selling. The energy, what happened to Philadelphia. When I was there in Philadelphia, and I'm paying a fortune for those tickets in the town, and they sold the Nets. Next year and their season ticket sales just skyrocket for the next year if you're an owner of a team you're nuts to try to sell to get some uh, prospects or whatever when you have a chance to go if you as you get into the playoffs go to the world series yeah. why would you give that up especially with more opportunities now it's not one game play-ins and things like that if your team is good enough to make the playoffs you're good enough to win the world series that's just how it is every year now with how good the league is and in, it's in not general. like the nba draft lottery we're like oh we got a lottery i'll get yeah. this player there's no player that you're going to draft is going to make the difference next year there's no scoot henderson victor wambayana all these other th- players that's something in the nba so this is really it's like you get in and it's not even like football where the team is maybe below 500 you think can they win the super bowl not really but in baseball yes you just get in and you're going to go and you start winning games you saw these teams like the, the teams that have the best records the Giants the Dodgers the Braves past years when they've had these great records and they lose in the first round let's uh, talk about the trade deadline because like I said it's coming up me and you are kind of both in the Otani not getting traded camp and I, I think we're sticking with that yeah I just I think that again they have 29 home, home games after that he is in the running to maybe break Aaron Judge's record in terms of the amount of home runs they are still only four games out so with that, that aspect goes and they're still going to be in the race even if they win even if they're eight games I still think they would not trade him like they want to go for this and and if you trade him you're never going to get him to yeah, sign. they want him to stay so so, so <laughs> if, you, if you have a 10 percent chance and he's going to stay then do it I, there's no I'm I, at first like a month ago I'm thinking they'll trade it now I think there's 
zero percent chance they're going to trade him. And anyone who trades him is not going to be guaranteed. We have Jeff Fletcher on who says you're not going to trade and have a deal in place. So you're just I, they're not going to get that much for him for this. I I, I don't really don't think the trade's going to happen. Well, who do you see getting moved here? This is. Kind of a, uh, a uninspiring crop of guys that could get moved around. No, I really don't. I think Cards might have some players, and I don't know if the Cardinals are going to trade. Aaron, you know, Aaron Ardo and Goldschmidt, like they liked. I think. They I don't like, think so. No, I think I don't. I think this is going to be the most boring trade deadline. Cardinals, ever watch out for Lars Newtbar. And I know people like to make fun of that name. Great player. They've got five outfielders who can all start. They need to move one of these guys anyway. I can see Newt Bar being a solid upgrade. Great, great hitter. Hits leadoff. Uh, great in the field. Good clubhouse guy. Shohei Otani actually gave him a watch under the pretense that he would play for Japan in the next WBC. Oh. He's Japanese, and he played with them. They became good friends. So Newt Bar and Otani, maybe there's something to that. Bring in Newt Bar, and I'll draw him over. Uh, anything else we got to talk about here? Hall, Hall of Fame is coming up. and No, Hall of Fame was Sunday. Yeah, well, we're, we're a little underwhelmed with the selections. But Scott Rowland was picked. It was, you know, was announced. It was decided a few months ago. And again, uh, just my last point is 316 home runs, 2,000 hits. Uh, he, in 17 years of playing, uh, 17 years major league career, only in he was only in a top 13 at one time in the MVP so he's not one time in his fourth it's unbelievable to think that he's in the Hall of Fame I just this is beyond belief that he's in the Hall of Fame I just can't believe <laughs> and then uh, Fred McGriff also got in the Hall of Fame now he has almost 500 home runs 1500 RBIs 2490 hits I can see Fred McGriff a little bit but Scott Rowland I this is just unbelievable he's a good player but never a Hall of Famer and he's been I just was surprised with that when you don't have Bonds and Clemens and A-Rod and Man Manny Ramirez Sosa McGuire Palmera and Rose and then you put Scott Rowland in just, I don't know yeah I, I'm not a big fan. Uh, we're about five minutes or so until we get to Tim Frank from the NBA, but let's talk a little NBA. I think love was in the air this weekend. Yes, I, I didn't know. You don't know these things are happening. I'm not invited. invited to these events. No, yeah. I mean, Trey Young got married to his childhood sweetheart, Shelby Miller, in the Bahamas, and then the, the same day, Joel Embiid gets married to uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit model Anna De Palma in the Hamptons. Uh, but James Harden, who loves the Hamptons, it's interesting. They're on the same team. He's their guard. He's signed for next year. He doesn't come to the wedding. You know, he likes the Hamptons, but he wasn't at Joe Embiid's wedding, so that doesn't it, uh, it sends something strange. So those two were the marriages. Um, Damian Lillard, nothing on the trade front, or nothing's had no news except that I did see some rumors what Toronto was offering him. And just you know, Toronto would be offering their package would be better than what the Heat. So if that ever if that was true, it's just a rumor. But I was like, wow, that's that's better than what the Heat were offering. And then uh, Charlotte Hornets were sold by Michael Jordan at a valuation he at this point was only owned fifty percent of the team, but the majority owner he sold the rest of it at a valuation of three billion. So he bought the team for like a couple hundred million dollars, sold it for three billion. I'm just shocked that he sold it. Like I I thought he wanted to stay in the league. You think he'd want to own his team and um, I I was surprised that he sold the team. I know Charlotte has been disappointing. He had they've won nothing since he's owned it, but I was surprised that he ended up maybe selling. he'll buy the Knicks and <laughs> get Dolan out of town. Going to the NFL quickly there was a big sale, and you would think that people in the Washington, D.C. area have just won the Super Bowl by getting rid of Dan Snyder. Yeah, Dan Snyder for $6 billion, and the funny thing is Josh Harris bought it. Josh Harris owns the Sixers, and they really won nothing, and he also owns the New Jersey Devils, which hasn't won much, so it's, uh, they, but again, and they didn't even have money. When he took this team, they had to cobble together so many investors, and they really, the NFL went through and said, we have some rules, but we're not going to follow them because it's Dan Snyder, so they did everything possible to get him in to buy this team, um, but I, if I I'm watching. I won't be so excited because you want your owner to come by the team like Steve Cohen and have a zillion dollars. It's like I paid billions of dollars for the team and I have so much more billion in the bank and we're going to spend more on free agents. That's not what's going to happen with the the, the uh, Washington team, but we'll see. Uh, anything you want to talk about in the regards to running backs? It's, it's, I feel like a lot of people are 
feeling bad for, for running backs and that, you know, like they, they, they deserve more money. They should hold out. I think this is ridiculous. They had a Zoom call. Yeah, they, got, they all got together on Zoom. They said they might start faking injuries, things like that, to get their point across. One thing I don't hear being brought up, Ira, is, you know, they have the term in baseball, wins above replacement. How good is another guy? And this is what we see all the time. Dalvin Cook's a fantastic running back. He misses four games a year. Alexander Madison comes in and does basically the exact same thing as him. Saquon Barkley missed a year, and Wayne Gallman had a fantastic season. You may think that you're great, but there's a guy right behind you who's probably 95% as good as you are. Right, and that's where I think teams are starting to realize the value of the offensive line, what the offensive line's able to do, and, and get those holes. And it, it, it now running backs now feel they're undervalued, but for many years they probably were overvalued compared yeah. to what the offensive line board was doing. Like, we're putting these holes, anybody's running through them, we're seeing what's happening. So it's just a matter of the franchise tag. It's a, it's a matter of the years, and I, I hope, I mean, I just... I have no idea the players I thought were going to fight much harder to get rid of these franchise tags because at that point, then they'd be a free agent and they get signed with another team. It's their fault for agreeing to this and this situation where they're franchised. And now it seems like the only players that are franchised are the running backs. The last Pro Bowl running back to win a Super Bowl, Marshawn Lynch, 10 years ago. So <laughs> that's just, sure, they don't really need him that bad. Got this, this affects uh, uh, Saquon Barkley, who for the Giants, who might yeah. not go to Kenya. Josh Jacobs Josh is Jacobs. not showing up. He, he left Vegas. Yeah, well, left Las Vegas at 6 in the morning. And then I wonder how he got his play. <laughs> Now because all my friends, there's one air, there's one uh, airstrip now in Vegas or what uh, runway, and no, the plane, everyone's flying out of Vegas cannot get out. So I'm just hoping he's probably <laughs> delayed five hours trying to get out. And Tony Pollard for the Cowboys. So you have the situations where these three are on the franchise tag, and, and that'll be what happens. Uh, just a minute to uh, Tim Frank. What about racing? Um, F1, exciting. It was it was in Hungary, and the Red Bull has now won. I, so I thought we were going to have a race because uh, Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton, won the pole. I'm like, okay, Mercedes is back, Mercedes is back. And then they go run the race, and, and Verstappen wins by 30 seconds. It wasn't even close. Dominated the entire race. Uh, Lando Norris, McLaren, people love Lando Norris and love McLaren. They're back. They finished second. Uh, Sergio Perez, Verstappen's team was third. Hamilton was fourth. And Piastre, the other uh, uh, McLaren teammate, was after that, and then Russell from Mercedes. But it was, this is, they've, he's now, there's been 11 races. Verstappen's won nine of them. Uh, Perez was one of the other two. They broke the McLaren record of winning of the number of races you won in a row because they kept counting last year. But Verstappen in the Red Bull car is just dominating. Good. And then in NASCAR, Denny Hamlin won Pocono on one of those, I love to call it the Talladega Knights moves, where he just went and... Shake uh, and bake. Yeah, well, was, this was more like Kyle Larson was to his right, and he didn't see him, and he just kept going and ran <laughs> Kyle Larson right into the wall. And uh, they're like, what were you doing? Like, you just ran him in the wall. And, in, and the funny thing is, in Formula One, you'd be totally disqualified for a move like that, but not here. Let's go to Tim Frank at Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. We are so pleased to have back on the show the Senior Vice President of League Operations and Communications for the NBA, uh, Tim Frank. Tim, you've been there. I looked on your LinkedIn page. It's now been 21 years and 11 months, so you're one month away from your 22-year anniversary. Yeah, if you take it to the to the Rockets days, I, this will be my 30th season when we get going in October. So hard to believe, honestly. But I appreciate you guys having me today. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I, I saw you at the uh, draft, and I told you I was at 17 NBA playoff games. I was there in Miami, New York, Boston, Denver. You just have to be so excited about the playoffs and what everything was with the NBA. I mean, it was tremendous. Even even the series like that, the sweeps over the Lakers, every one of those games was great. At Golden State in with Steph Curry, just every night I'm watching the NBA for hours and hours and hours. And not just me, but everybody was. 
Yeah, it, the the skill level Ira is just just so good right now. I mean, it's it's um, we have so many good teams, and and I, I think that was one of the most fun parts of the season. You know, by every statistical measurement, we had pretty much the most competitive season in NBA history, and 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 I think that made it fun. I mean, like we got in, you know, we ended up with two playing teams in the conference finals, so a lot of unpredictability, as you know big a fan as you are that's not always been our strength and so we're um you know you know we're hoping to move in that direction a little bit more because i think it keeps the playoffs fun keeps the regular season fun and and it keeps everybody interested and for denver to win and it's a team that was built through the draft and acquiring a couple key free agents the coach had been there a while uh that was tremendous to have and certainly their style of play with a center that's passing and the excitement of that i mean a lot of people don't stay up late and watch denver play but then they say wow this denver team is good and this joker guy is excellent yeah i think that was one of the funniest parts of the playoffs is that is the, the people sort of becoming aware of, of Jokic, um even though he had already won two mvps like you said you know, the different time zone thing. And, um, and Denver just hasn't been a perennial winner in our league. And so because of that, I think they get a little ignored, but not anymore. I mean, they stepped up and, you know, Jamal Murray's a tremendous talent and uh, Bruce Brown was great for them. He'll be a big loss uh, now that he moved on to Indiana, but uh, and Mike Malone, Michael Malone's just a terrific coach. I mean, he just is. And so, yeah, it was fun. I mean, like everything about this season, you know, from, from start to finish was, was a lot of a lot of sort of unpredictability and fun and and you know that's all you ever want when you enter a season. Well, you made the move with the play-in tournament, and a lot of people had questions about it. But the Heat would—I <laughs> was there at that game against Chicago, and they—they're down yep. five, and Kobe White misses a layup, and then suddenly the Heat—you know—I'm going to 17 different or 15 more games after that, flying to Denver everywhere, and they—they they lose that game. We're done here in Miami. So the play-in tournament really worked, and that one week just generates so much excitement. Yeah, it was funny. I was actually surprised when we first introduced it that so many people were, you know, not aboard. I mean, like I thought, you know, I think the thing that got lost with a lot of people was what it would mean for the regular season. I, I think they saw it as a adding teams to the playoffs. But what it was was it created different tiers that you needed to reach. And so before you wanted to be the number one seed or maybe in the top four, but now you got to be in that top six because if you're not in the top six, you don't um, you don't uh, necessarily make the playoffs. You got to win the play-in tournament, try to earn it. And so then, if you you want to be seven, so you can get that home game. And then, if not, you want to be eight, so that you don't have to win twice. And so it, everything about it was just set up so so really uh, as well as it could be. And, and and you know, listen, I I thought it would be great. It certainly exceeded even my high expectations for it. But um, but it's it's here to stay, and and I think it's it's one of those things everybody looks forward to now as we turn the calendar into April. And we talked last year about it. You just mentioned about competitive balance, and that's what. And as someone who like me who goes to these cities and sees it, it's like it's almost like if you visited every one of your thirty cities or twenty eight cities because you have Brooklyn, New York, and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. If you visit them. Everyone, even the teams that are bad, are right, well, we got this great young player. We have this. Victor Romanov is going to San Antonio. That's going to be good. Orlando has Bonchero and other, other great young players. So it's like everybody. Houston, which was terrible, now has this great, you know, they're winning the summer league. They're playing great that way. All these things that are happening, I just think that's where, the, when you talk about competitive balance, everybody has, feels like they have a chance. It's not like in baseball or some other sports where these teams are just perennial losers and, they're, and they're, they don't have hope. Yeah, I mean, listen, as I said before, it hasn't always been our strength. I feel like we're turning that way, at least I hope so, that, you know, you're going to see more and more unpredictability. 
Um, and we certainly add it this year. And, and you know, we'll see, as, as you said, teams that even weren't so good last year, like San Antonio and Houston, have made some significant changes to get better. Detroit has gotten better. Like, I think it's. I think we're we're really trending in the right way, and it's. And you know, we got a good. We just got the collective bargaining agreement done, so we got labor peace for the next seven years. So uh, it's great. I mean, it's uh, we're full full go, and you know, I'm excited to see what happens this year. Like seeing, you know, the Lakers made that run, and then I think they got better in the off season. You know, so I think I think there's some 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 teams that have, uh, are going to even be better this year, and are going to make the the season even more fun and i love sacramento and i think they're just amazing yeah, they're, they're definitely gonna be great and i think that's the one thing I, I i i hate watching when you listen to espn they're like oh it has to be new york it has to be boston i mean i guess what, 33 out of the first 60 titles were boston and the lakers winning and they're like oh the league can't be great without the lakers boston new york being good well no because if you have great teams and great players anywhere the fans are going to find them and they're going to enjoy watching them and i think that's what we saw this past year yeah, it's a relic of the past, right? Like, I mean, when you and I were growing up, Boston and Philadelphia and New York and the Lakers, those those were the games that were on national TV all the time, right? And it was hard to see those other teams. Now with the emergence of league pass over the last 20 years and, and you know, the, the increase in number of national television games uh, that are on, people can just root for whoever they want to root for. And, and I think it's just made it better. Like, I mean, let's be honest, like, Sacramento in the early 2000s, it took a long time for people to embrace that team as, as good as they were. But this year, Sacramento, was, you know, when they played the Warriors, was one of their highest-rated first-round games ever. And it was like it was people already embracing it because they've seen them and they've been able to enjoy them you know, in a different way than probably when you and I were younger. And yeah, you just talked about the television contracts that with TNT and ESPN uh, and ABC, just been a, been amazing in terms of. Well, first of all, you have the best pregame and postgame show with Barkley and Shaq. It just and Kenny Smith. I love that. I wish ESPN would after the show after their games do the same thing. Give me an hour of that. I want to have more discussion. But the fact that you started the games a little earlier, the West Coast games came a little early. So you can step in late and watch those. And plus the local packages everywhere you go, you can see games. You must, you must be very happy with how the whole myriad of watching it on streaming and everything has been working together for the NBA. Yeah, without a question. And, and you know, the inside the NBA guys are just the standard. I mean, really in any sport, like everybody wants to watch those guys. And, and you're right, we moved up tip times to try to be a little bit more friendly to the to the Eastern time zone. And, and it you know, it's worked out really well. As you know, our ratings were up. So, I mean, I, I, I it's just, everything is just sort of working in the right direction right now. And, you know, you knock on wood when you say that, because you always want to make sure it keeps going there. But I think we feel really good about where we are in the league. Now explain the in-season tournament, because I've been listening to sports talk radio shows and like they've added seven games. They're going to play 90 games. It seems like people are a little confused on what this in-season tournament is going to be. You just give us some, uh, you know, some understanding about exactly what this is. Yeah, quite simply. I mean, I know you, you pay attention to the Olympics and to the FIBA World Cup. I mean, it's very similar in the sense that, um, you know, we have we put the, the teams, the 30 teams, into six groups. Um, they're going to play everybody in their own group one time, so that'll be four games. Those games will be just like they were before, regular season games. And then the, the six pool winners or six group winners will advance. The two uh, next best records in the um, in the group play will advance, and we'll have an 18 tournament starting December 3rd and 4th, and um, it'll be home sites at first uh, for the quarterfinal round, 
and then we'll move into the semifinals and championship game out in, uh, in, in Las Vegas. And then the 22 teams that don't qualify, they'll play two games in some way against each other during that week uh, to make sure that everybody still ends up with 82 games. The, the only additional game is the championship game. Um, the two teams that make the championship game, that'll be a, that'll be one more than the, the 82, but th- those, th- that will not count on the standings or the statistics. So when I get a schedule for the heat and I look at it, I'm going to see those six games that those games that are listed, they'll say, this is for the, this is for the in-season tournament game, but they're also right. They count as regular season game, but you would just be next to it, say an in-season tournament game also. It's not like an additional game that's going to be part of that. Correct. And those games will all be on seven Tuesdays and Fridays in November. The only Tuesday and Friday we're not using is election day. As I think, you know, we've taken that day off the last couple of years. And um, but those seven days will be be tournament nights, and those games will all count towards the in season tournament. I love that idea because you keep. I hate when the NBA is on football because you know how much I love football, and so I love that you're putting an emphasis on games on Tuesday and Friday. So that's tremendous. And yeah. that now, hundred percent. Well, but well, why? Well, like I'm just from a Heat fan. This is the question that my my listeners are asking me. Will Golden State like? Will this eliminate? Will there be really a chance that maybe Golden State will not come to Miami for a game because of this? Will they lose that game, or how will that you make sure that all the teams like Miami gets to see every team in the league at least once? No, schedule be done exactly the same way. The only difference, Ira, is going to be that, that we'll only announce 80 games when we announce the 82-game schedule. And then once we get through the group, uh, the tournament nights in November, everybody will get two more games. And that'll, that'll either be because you're one of the 22 that didn't qualify and you'll play on Wednesday and Friday of that week of the championship. Um, and the other eight teams, if you lose in the quarterfinals, you'll play somebody else that lost in the quarterfinals on Friday. So everybody will get the 82 games. It's just the only when you get your original schedule, you're only going to see the 80 games on it. But you'll see the open dates um, for when the tournament itself will be played. Okay. Okay. Now the the one issue that is my big point, I know you you know what I'm going to ask is is of course load management. I mean that's the one thing I yeah. I drive down to see Miami and Boston uh, in the, I guess February or March February this year, and I'm I think I'm watching two G League teams and and those things. And I love as someone who loves the NBA so much, I just I just hate it. You know, I hate checking to see like you never put a football game like is Patrick Mahomes going to play? You know who's going to play? You know you 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 know that Patrick Mahomes is going to play 16 games out of the year unless he's injured. The point is that's just my biggest pet peeve in terms of the load management. And I guess you guys tried to address it a little with the 65 game to win awards. And what are some other things you're trying to do to uh, to work with the load management issue? You know, I think we're just trying to be smarter about it. Like we're trying to learn, like what are the advantages to playing a certain number of games? And, I, and I, there's really no direct evidence that says if you play 75, you're more likely to get hurt than 68 or 78, you're more likely to get hurt than 74. Like, and, and but you know, the reality is, 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 is we have to get everybody on the same page on that. And um, the one thing that's unfortunate in this conversation, Ira, is that people have almost now sort of ignored that players do get injured. And so, like, you know, we had some games this year where a player was out, you know, and was missing several games, and we were still getting complaints about players not playing. And it's like, well, there's nothing we can do about that. If you're hurt, you should not be playing. We don't want to risk more injury. Um, you know, but the, the issue is, is you know, we, we've got to – create those proper incentives for not only the players, but the teams. And, and, you know, the, a lot of times the players take the hits for this, but uh, you know, 
sometimes it's the, the, the teams themselves that are making these decisions. And, and, and listen, they're not doing it to be negative. They're not trying to, you know, cause problems for our fans. They're trying to be smart so that they're ready for the playoffs. And, but we got to find that middle ground. It's, you know, I mean, for, for years we had guys playing, you know, upwards of 75 and more games. And, um, you know, and generally speaking, the, the health, you know, it's not like we're seeing a decrease in injuries as we have more guys resting. And so I think we got to get a better handle of that. And when we get that, I think that'll be more helpful for our team. That's good. That's good. And then, you know, people are upset. Now, we love this down here in Miami. We love the trade demands. We love the fact that Dave Lillard wants to leave Portland and come to Miami. So there's no complaints from people down in Miami saying people want to come to Miami. We, You know, Messi wanted to come here. Dave Lillard, LeBron. Everybody wants to come to Miami except for Shohei Otani, which we had on last week. Someone talking about the Marlins aren't after him. But, you know, and, and we had Bob Whitsitt on our show. And, and Clyde, you know, was saying, well, this is just a new trend that players are demanding trades. And he told us a story about when Clyde Drexler, you know, met 25 years ago, demanded a trade. And he had to handle that trade. So that is a concern, though, of some fans about the players that are just saying, oh, you just signed a contract and now you want to leave. Well, it's funny you mentioned Drexler because I benefited from that because I was at the Rockets at the time. That's right. We ended up winning a championship. We ended up winning a championship. So, listen, it's not the most ideal thing, but it's, you know, listen, there's some there's some circumstances in which in which players are looking for a fresh start that aren't necessarily, you know, in the same vein as some of the stuff we're seeing, but uh, you know, it's happened for years. It's probably always going to happen in some form or fashion. You know, we try to take some of the incentive out of there by, you know, we say players can't publicly talk about wanting to, you know, to be uh, traded. And so that's, you know, helped a little bit, but then agents do it and then it becomes another story. So, um, you know, something that we're certainly aware of, um, but I, I think it's one of those problems. And I put that in quotes, that is probably not as prevalent as people think it is because it just becomes such a big deal when it happens. You know, we had when Bob Whitson was on the show, he said that when Drexler came to his office, he had just got the job and that he said, I want to go to a really bad team because I want to score a lot of points. And, get, and he's like, no, you want to go to a winner. And then he had to convince him to trade him <laughs> to Houston. So that's why, you know, with that idea is that maybe everyone thinks Lillard's coming to Miami, but maybe another team wants to trade and they'll say, you know, you want to come here and we're going to be a great team too. So uh, let's, yeah. I want to move the next point is on the rules. Um, you, we talked about the 14 second. You, know, you love that when the reset on the offensive rebound to 14 seconds, and I think that's made a big difference. I mean, how many times you watch a game and the team gets you know another possession on the uh, on the defensive side because that's this 14 seconds. You don't have a 24 second reset. I thought I thought it was a great rule change. But what kind of rules? I think there's flopping rules that are coming in this year. Uh, some what are some new rules that we'll see coming up next year? Yeah. So, I mean, listen, we, we, last year we had the take fouls, right? And that we, we dropped um, from 1,700 take fouls to 200 in one year, you know, with just the rule change of penalizing those take fouls and stopping fast breaks. We also saw a huge increase in fast break points. So that was great success. Um, the flopping, um, it's going to be hard. And our referees know that. And they're going to spend some time being trained. Um, and they're um, – uh, and and on, on what we're looking for there, we're looking for the most um, egregious stuff. We're not necessarily looking for the smaller stuff. And then the um, the second rule change we announced last week is, which uh, is going to be very well received, I think, is if you win your first coach's challenge, you get a second one. And um, and so I think that's better because a lot of times guys have not challenged plays in the second quarter or third quarter because they want to keep that thing to the end of the game when they probably should be challenging. Um, so I, I think. You know, similar to the NFL, if you win both, you get a challenge. And ours, if you win your challenge, you get another one. So 
we'll um, we'll see how that works. But um, all all reviews on that from pretty much all angles have been positive. And we talked, I think, last year about the prevalence of three-point shots. And there's some aspects of the game. But first of all, there actually teams are shooting three much better now. But then you go to the finals and you see, again, Denver, I think they made four, th- three, four threes in the final uh, game. So it just shows that you can win both ways in terms of not just shooting threes constantly. I think that was, again, I would like to see less threes in the league. But I think the way Denver played <laughs> made me feel better about watching it such a pure basketball. I agree. I, you know, I, as you know, I grew up in this league with the Rockets and Akeem and, and I, you know, I sort of miss that style a little bit. And, um, you know, and Jokic is, um, you know, he's no, he's not like Akeem, but I mean, he, he, you know, he posts up and gets the ball and, and creates offense just like Akeem did. And, and that's fun. And you know, Joel's a little bit like that, you know, everything moves in, 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 in cycles, uh, the three-point shot is obviously one of those things that, from strict math, it's it's very uh, productive shot, and so people are going to take it. But I'm with you; like I, I like to see, you know, when a guy's going in for a layup and he can make the layup, and then he kicks it out for a three. Not my favorite thing, you know. I, I still want to see I still want to see basketball played the way it's always been played. And um, but I, you know, listen, there's no question the three-point shot has made the game more exciting. You know, a 12-point lead now. Is like when you and I were growing up, like a five-point lead, right? And and so it's just it's kept the game exciting, and it will continue to do so. But I do believe there's still a still um, a success in there for big men that can create offense. Now, I was at, I've gone to, I think it's been 20 NBA drafts. I can't count in terms of I went to the the felt forum when it was at Madison Square Garden, and I love going to the draft. I saw you at the draft. But, you know, it would be so cool. I mean, the one thing at the finals when I was with Denver, it's, like, great to be at the finals, but they can't, you can't create, like, a Final Four atmosphere. You can do it for, like, for the All-Star mm-hmm. game. But there is there any talk about maybe moving the draft like the NFL has been doing to Kansas City this past year? Because I think, if, boy, if you put the draft here in Miami, it would be tremendous. People would go crazy for the draft being down here. Yeah, you know, we did that for a while when I was first in the at the Rockets in, in, in the 90s. Um, and, and there has been some conversation about looking at that again. Um, I don't think um, it's anything uh, that we'll necessarily see by next year, but I do think that's something that could come up here very soon. And and, um, and listen, if you're looking for a Final Four environment, let's, let's hope the in-season tournament, um, you know, over time will develop into that kind of uh, kind of activity for everybody because I, we're going to have all the teams there in one location and, and, you know, hopefully that'll be, be something that we can, uh, we can create some excitement around. No, no, you're totally right. That's good. I forgot about that. And then, the G League, I mean, people used to laugh at the G League, but now I think, does, does every team have their own G League team now? Almost, 29 out of 30. Phoenix is, I believe, the only one at the moment, and um, uh, and they're working on it. I think their <laughs> owner was quoted this week saying they're working on it. But we have a team in Mexico. Um, we have the G League Ignite team, so we do have um, – you know, 30, 30 G League teams. But it's, um, but yeah, I think we'll have that before too long. But it's been tremendous in terms of letting players, giving a pathway. How many players do we see in the finals that played in the that were G League players? And it gives them away the two way. I mean, I, there's now more talk here at Heat Game. It's like, well, this someone scored so much in a G League and that, you know, bring them up and play. So I think that aspect of it is pretty cool. And the fact that, you know, you do have G League Unite players that are, are not going to their first year of college, but going and playing in the G League, like Scoot Henderson. So there's so many positives to the G League. League. It's been great, and and uh, it's one of those leagues that has far exceeded um, expectations, and 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 I um, and it continues to. I think I think I don't have the number of the, on my fingertips, but I want to say it's close to fifty percent of our players have spent time in the G League. That's amazing. Or the other. 
And, and it's, um, you know, the coaching is great down there. The, the, you know, the, the competitiveness uh, is great. Like, um, it's, it's been, it's been a really wonderful experience and something we just continue to try to capitalize on. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily yet has become like a, a huge TV sport, but it has been such a great developmental league for us, um, that we'll just continue to work towards making it more popular, but it's, it's serving its purpose for sure. We've been talking to Tim Frank, the senior vice president of league operations communications. Just a couple more questions, Tim. Um, gambling used to be a topic nobody wanted to talk about certainly that was but now it seems like you know these sports leagues are embracing it uh, with partnerships and those things so what is what is the nba working with in terms of gambling in terms of i mean i play fantasy football a fantasy basketball i love it i'm we're from our hometown blair county the people who run our league that you know says the oldest <laughs> fantasy league in the country which i don't know if it's true but <laughs> but uh, i love doing that. my first my first player i drafted was patrick ewing when i was going to new york i said i gonna go to new york i have to draft patrick ewing as my first but so what is how is the nba handling the 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 gambling and the prevalence in terms of how many states it's becoming legalized in? Yeah, I mean, we've leaned into it. You know, as soon as Adam became the commissioner, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times kind of just saying, like, it's it's okay for leagues to, to, to get involved in this because, it, for one, it helps regulate things a little bit better. And, and so uh, I think we've had good success. You know, obviously, we're very clear with our players and even employees of the teams in the league office about what they're permitted to do and what they're not permitted to do. Um, but overall, I, I think it's been great. Like, listen, the only things we get complaints about is, um, you know, sometimes people don't know when guys are going to play until the last minute and that messes up some of that stuff. Um, and, but overall, it's, I think we've had a pretty seamless transition into it and, you know, hopefully it'll just continue down that path. You're getting ready to go to the world championships in the Philippines, and it's going to be exciting. All these we had the international game, and now the world championship is going to be, I think, pretty cool to watch. But is there ever a movement to have like the whole rules? Like, can the world adopt the NBA? Can we just have the world adopt the NBA rules? Because it is a little different when you're watching the world rules as opposed to just the NBA rules. Yeah, well, you know, college basketball, same thing, right? I mean, they're they're just a little bit different, and I, I you know, I think. We just were having that conversation at our competition committee meeting last week, and which, um, and which, you know, how can we try to get everybody on the same page? And, I, and so I think those conversations happen. We have changed rules over time, as has FIBA, to to try to to, to get more in line. Um, you know, we've never adopted their goaltending rule. Um, we've we've never adopted their rule about you can't call timeout in live play. Um, you know, and and I think on, in both cases, um, the, each each sort of league is in their own camp on that and don't don't see a reason to change it but but yeah i mean overall i think we have come a little bit closer uh we're just we're not totally perfect yet but i think um it'll be interesting to see with college basketball what happens there because you know it's the only i think it's the only sport i mean only basketball now that plays hats you know instead of playing quarters and so you know, we'll see if they have any changes up their sleeve but overall um you know it's definitely part of the conversation and uh, I don't know if we'll ever get 100 to 100, but, you know, we'll see. And I think last year, I think we didn't, uh, since in the past year, the passing of Bill Russell, uh, the great legend in terms of and how the league has honored the number six on the floors and those things have been tremendous. I think the outpouring of the players, it seems like the league, I don't know any other league where the players know the history of the league, know people that were, were you know, all the great old players and the older players in the league. I think that's pretty neat. And I, I do like how the league has honored. We talked about the new trophies against some of the past players, but certainly how they honored Russell this past year. Yeah, I, I um, I love it. 
honestly. I, I and one of our people came to me on that a couple of years ago and said, "What do you think about this idea?" And I, and I love the concept and and. You know, it gives you, you know, listen, for us, for where we're from, you know, the, the opportunity to have a trophy named after somebody that maybe people have forgotten about. And, the, you know, the, the Stokes Twyman Award that we do every year, you know, um, you know, for the best teammate, you know, that re, every time that's given, it retells the Jack Twyman Maurice Stokes story, which is, you know, near and dear to my heart and, you know, from growing up in central Pennsylvania. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think anything we can do to keep, you know, our, our memories of our players alive. I mean, I, uh, you know, people always try to get me in on the LeBron MJ conversation and I'm like, what about Will? What about Kareem? What about Oscar? Like, like sometimes we forget about those guys and, and I, and I think it's really important for us to make sure we're keeping their memories alive. I, I think Will is extremely underrated. I, I just, yeah. I, you just look at statistics and also when we watch some of his games, he's so dominant at the time and did everything when he wanted to could lead the league and assist. And he's very much like Joe. And, and a lot of things that he did doesn't shoot the three though but dominant um one of my last questions would be where i was at the draft and i was so impressed and every time i go there the quality of the people uh, the players their families at the draft and then when you look at the league and, and i'm not going to ask you we're not going to talk about john morant and those those situations but because <laughs> i think that's such a anomaly like the fact is that there are, the players in the nba are working at their bodies and their minds or their crafts. I mean, that's their companies and they are being in great shape. They're getting plenty of sleep. I know many of these players and the work they put in and you see at the draft, all those players and they're in tip top shape with great support systems and families. It's like, if you're in the league and you just don't want to take it seriously, guess what? There's someone coming that's going to take your spot and it's going to happen quick. And I, I think that's, you have to be impressed with just the quality of people that this league has. And I know you work and talk with these players every day, but it's it's really impressive, especially when you see something at the draft when you're sitting amongst people that are being drafted into it. I think it's the biggest growth in the league in the last 20 years. I mean, it is, um, you know, we just had players that just um, that came in, you know, when I first got in the league that just didn't have the same experiences, right? They weren't used to the media. They weren't used to being on television. All of these kids now are, are they're used to all of that and they're so mature and they've been instructed sort of from a young age on how to behave and in how not behaving can impact their ability to, to do the job. Right. And, and, and we're, we're, we are, we're really blessed by our players. Like, like I, you know, there's, as in anything, there's, you know, there's guys that might be difficult here and there, but for the most part, you know, we have, I mean, it's just crazy to think of a guy like LeBron who like he built a darn school. Like he's given underprivileged kids the opportunity to go to school. Like, like that's crazy when you think about the growth that this has come. I mean, we used to have players that had to work overtime in the off season to make money. And now we have guys that are able to, to you're not only making more money, but being able to put that money back into their communities and doing incredible things. We're, we're really lucky. I mean, I, and again, like you said, sometimes people like to focus on the negative, but I, I think when you look at our players as a whole, um, it's a really good group, and, and, and they they get it, and they understand it, and they know what their role is, not only within our league, but within their community. And we talk about social media and how bad it is. I follow so many players in the NBA, 
And I cannot tell you how many players, like a Bobby Portis, who no one knows is running these youth camps constantly. Like you think the social media, like they're always on with the camps they're running and the things of the all, and maybe you know, just things to say, hey, look, I have a camp. It's free. Come show up and do all those things. I, it's just tremendous. They bombarded constantly about that. And certainly it makes them look good. You know, they want, that's why they're publicizing, but also they are doing this. They're taking the time out. They're doing these things. And I think that's, you know, really impressive. And I think that, you know, your best ambassadors of the league are, are your players because they're they're doing those things. Yeah, it's not photo ops, right? Like, but like when I first got in the league, a lot of this stuff was a little bit of, you know, um, let's let's get a photo, let's let everybody see. These guys now are so in tune with everything they're doing. They're so they're so dedicated to anything that they support. It's great, and it's um, and I think it makes the the kids that they support feel good. It makes the families feel good. Um, it gives opportunities for the players' families to be involved in their success. There's just really no downside, and it, and it's been uh, I, I really loved watching how our our young players have have embraced all of this, and you know I mean again it, the, the, one of the one of the best parts is we our best players are the best at this, and 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 that just sets a tone and sets a culture that everybody else feels they got to match. Yeah, I mean, just the one example is a Victor Wembanyama. He's comes in, flies over a seven foot. No one really knows much about him. He lands it, and all he does is interview after interview, impressed with everyone, signs autographs constantly, and everyone's. It's it just that aspect of us here. Now you have your next superstar in the league comes in already with a perfect attitude and an idea. And I just think that's what is people view the NBA as they want to play. They know what they have to do to be in it. And they're going to, I said, they, they, they view it as a privilege. I guess that that's the answer It's like they view it as a privilege to play in the league and they want to stay in it. If they want to get in it first and they want to stay in it when they get there. Without question. I mean, it's, it's, hey, listen, I, players will tell you it's the best job in the world. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it it really is, and, and and they understand that, and there's no taking advantage of it. Um, you know, and again, like I said, you have, you have your exceptions from time to time, but for the most part, our guys are really committed to what we're trying to do. Tim, thank you so much. I know this was a good, and have a good, great trip uh, to the Philippines for the World Championships, and enjoy that, and then get ready for a good season, 2023-2024. So thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I appreciate it. Uh, anytime, Ira. You know that, and take care of yourself. Ira, we've got to wrap it up, but you're excited for this weekend as far as uh, martial arts go. Yeah, this is fighting and martial arts. Uh, Normally, Terrence Crawford versus Earl Spence would be talked about. Uh, Everyone would be saying the biggest fight they could imagine. Uh, Crawford is the number one pound-for-pound fighter, number one welterweight fighter. Spence is the number two welterweight fighter, number four pound-for-pound fighter. They're both undefeated. They're both around 33, 34 years old. They're still in their primes, and nobody's talking about this fight. I can't wait for it Saturday night. It's going to be huge. And the UFC is a big fight, too. Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier, um, both the second and third ranked lightweights. Um, Poirier beat Gaethje in 2018. They've sort of beat the same fighters in terms of Chandler. They've lost to the same fighters. So it, it was a, the first match was tremendous. So between, but the big one is Crawford versus Spence. Uh, I just wish people would talk about it. I think this is really going to be a great fight. I can't wait for it on Saturday night. What are you doing this week? Hopefully tomorrow, I, my plane is on time and I see uh, the Mets versus the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. But I'm landing right at the Western Airport, but you don't know. But I, just, uh, I was, you know, right before our show, I booked the flight and hopefully I'm going to be at Yankee Stadium tomorrow night. Thanks so much to Tim Frank. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.